0: This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast
1: for all things Boston Red Sox. You
0: no know, people harp on the last place thing, but
1: essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk.
0: This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cattillo and Sean McAdam.
1: Happy Thursday and welcome back to the Fenway Rundown podcast. Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam, as always, it's a mailbag episode of the show today. We took reader questions on Twitter or X or Hellscape, whatever you want to call that app. And uh, we will be getting to those in a minute. This will be the third straight episode that is primarily centered on the Red Sox ongoing baseball operations search. Call it a GM search, president of baseball operations search, whatever you want. Uh, It's heating up. We talked about the candidates the other day, and Sean, who is with us now, had an update this morning after talking to sources as things pertain to Craig Breslow. I think there was some reporting last night out there that made it seem like that is imminent from what we're hearing, Sean. That's not the case, but Craig Breslow has clearly emerged here, uh, as we can tell you, as a legitimate candidate to join the Red Sox.
0: Yeah, no question about it, Chris. He's a very highly thought of guy. We know that. We know that his intelligence is kind of off the charts, as you might expect for a guy who went to Yale. That's impressive enough. But then to have a uh, biomechanical uh, uh, engineering degree or molecular studies or whatever it is that Craig Breslow got in Yale above all of our pay grades.
1: It's not journalism, but it'll pay.
0: Yeah, The the intelligence is is not in question, never was, uh, but the job he's done with the Chicago Cubs and their pitching program has really caught the eye of a lot of people, uh, so he's very much in the mix. However, the athletic story that ran last night uh, suggested that not only was he in advanced discussions, but in advanced discussions to be the number one decision maker here, and I'm not quite sure we're there yet. First of all, I think there's every possibility that additional candidates are going to be interviewed. And we heard Sam Kennedy focus on wanting to have a more robust and widespread search this time. We know that last time around, Heim Bloom was the only person interviewed and then hired. They clearly don't want to make that mistake again, not suggesting Bloom was a mistake, but the process was not uh, very thorough or widespread or perhaps vetted as well as it could have been. Um, so they want more candidates, more input, talk to more people, and they're going to do that. I was told yesterday that they have requests out to speak to at least a couple of other people uh, who are currently employed by other teams and are waiting for permission to proceed. I was also told there is somebody who has interviewed for the job that has not been publicly reported. So there are more candidates than we know of or have been, that have been publicly identified. But back to Breslow. He's a guy that has impressed a lot of people, as we noted. He's done a terrific job with the minor league pitching program, with the Cubs, which is his primary job with Chicago. But one thing that should be noted is that he does not have any front office experience per se. He has not run a baseball ops department or even been a general manager. He's third or fourth on the depth chart. Uh, underneath, obviously, Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins, who's identified as the GM of the Cubs. So this would be a huge step up to either make him the general manager overseeing the department or to take it a step further to be the president of baseball ops, either with the GM underneath him or working in concert with the people who are already part of that infrastructure at Fenway. So um, not to say that he's not a candidate. He certainly is. We know he's interviewed. We know he's impressed people and he's well thought of. Uh, I just thought that the reporting that uh, he's deep in talks and that this is for the number one decision making sounded a little premature, Uh, according to some people I spoke with yesterday. um, I I think it's more likely if Breslow is indeed hired that it is uh, to serve as a GM or the number two to somebody above him with more experience. That would be someone like Thad Levine who's been a GM now of the Minnesota Twins for about seven years and has that experience even though he's not been a number one. Neil Huntington has been a number one in Pittsburgh uh, for a period of about 12 years. So it's possible that either of those could be brought in as president of baseball ops with Breslow brought in to be the GM and maybe uh, groomed to be the number one guy in a number of years. I just think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves when we're anointing Breslow as the guy who's going to be calling all the shots here.
1: Yeah. And I think that the way that they have talked about this is a robust search. You know, they've reached out to a lot of people, but they've only interviewed, you know, six, maybe seven people to this point that we know about. James Click out of the running. Um, I think they're going to want to talk to more. You know, they're going to have to expand their horizons a little bit. We talked previously about the Kim Ang situation. I'm sure they're going to want to talk to her. If they make this hire without having reached out to her, interviewed her, I think that would be a misstep. You know, some other people that, you know, could be brought up as well. So I don't get the sense that this is on the finish line by any means. I know that from what people you spoke to yesterday, uh, kind of agree with that. And I think the interesting thing, as you mentioned, is all the different possibilities for the structure you know could it be you know someone inexperienced as the number 1 with someone experienced as the number 2 could it be the inverse of that could it be you know Breslow number 1 Eddie Romero number 2 could it be Eddie Romero number 1 Breslow number 2 and i think the fact that we have to ask those questions speaks to where the candidate pool is right now you know if you're bringing in somebody like James Click if you're bringing in somebody like you know John Daniels or some of these people that decline them, those people are clear number ones. James Click's not coming in here to be a number two, John Daniels probably isn't coming in here to be a number two. You know, there's a few names in that boat. Um, Sam Full well, and Brandon, uh, I, I would add,
0: I would add Levine, uh, as somebody else who would not yep. be making a, a lateral move here. He is number two under Derek Falvey with the twins, uh, he's happy there. He would not come here as the GM with a president of baseball ops above him.
1: Right. And that, you know, would would have been the case with Gomes or Fold if they didn't decline interviews. So the Correct. fact that all the structure uh questions are now here is pretty interesting. We have a question related to this from G Mags. Uh if Breslow or Eddie gets the job as the president of baseball operations, would they hire with prior experience as the number one? I know Heim didn't really have that when he was here. I wonder if it would help ease the tradition to have somebody who's been there before to help. We've talked about this before. That was a huge, I think, misstep of the Heim Bloom administration that there was no experienced GM in the mix really at any point. You know, he never had somebody who he brought in as a special advisor, never had somebody who had that experience. I think you've talked about in the past Theo having Bill LaJoy and, you know, even Dombrowski with all his experience having Frank Wren and some of these other sounding boards. Um, Allard Baird, I believe, with Sherrington. I mean, there's a, a kind of a lot of history of this. Heim Bloom, you know, never had anybody uh, who had been in that number one chair. That's where I think it gets tricky. Do you have the inexperienced guy be the number one? Do you, I guess it, it really depends on the personality and the personnel as you mentioned with, you know, the situations that each person's coming from.
0: Yeah, and I think all of this illustrates, Chris, that the Red Sox are going into this with very much of an open mind, which is probably the way they should approach it. It's a blank canvas here. Uh, they have a lot of possibilities. They could have people working in combinations. They could identify one person to come in and run the show and know that there is a support staff here that has been here uh, for better than 20 years with people like Brian O'Halloran, Eddie Romero, Raquel Ferreira. You have a, a, a an experienced institutional knowledge-based uh, staff that could help you through some of the minefields as you tackle a number one job for the first time. Uh, I think they're open to a number of solutions, which, as we've said, is the smart way to go here. Uh, I think going in with preconceived notions, no, we want this, and this is what we're looking for, and it's absolute. uh, I think they learned the the hard way last time that that's not the best approach.
1: And I think that the two things I would be emphasizing in this search, no matter how they put the structure together, uh, experience in some form. Whether that be the number one, whether that be the number two, I want somebody in the big who's had the big chair before. Because as I said in the last iteration of this front office, Heim Bloom was the number one for the first time. Brian O'Halloran as his number two, had never been the number one. Raquel Ferreira, Eddie Romero, there's nobody in the front office who had ever been a number one before. I think that's a big thing. And also, as I've said before, with no disrespect to Eddie Romero or the other internal candidates who have surfaced, Someone to come in and make actual meaningful changes, um, I, I think that should be a big priority, whether that is a GM who has a lot of power under a president of baseball operations like Eddie Romero. I think they would be flawed in their process if they hired a first-time GM as a, or a first-time president of baseball operations who'd never been in the big chair and had somebody like Eddie Romero or one of these guys behind them.
0: Yeah, and even if they don't elevate Eddie or someone else currently on staff, the fact that the new person is going to be inheriting an experienced staff that has been together through four or five different administrations here is already creating, in my mind, a little bit of a logjam. They might be more resistant to change. No, this is the way we've always done it here. Um, You wonder how much freedom the new person is going to have in terms of bringing people with him. Now, we know that Mike Grootman was hired by Heim Bloom as an assistant GM and an analytics expert uh, coming over from Milwaukee. Um, But I I think the new person needs to have the ability to uh, not only have the ability to make decisions, but also to bring in some lieutenants in addition to the people that he's going to be inheriting, he or she is going to be inheriting.
1: Right. The question who, that comes in, kind of an overview from Joe at Yazdog8, how much of a disaster has the GM search been for the Red Sox? Like, we've reported and talked about the complicating factors, the things that have happened. I mean, the James Click thing speaks to me. You know, I think since we last recorded, James Click took himself out of the running after speaking to them or interviewing, whatever you want to call it. The fact that, you know, he – Who would probably have a good shot at getting the job, honestly? Um, You know, went through the whole process and decided, no, this is not for me. I think that says a lot just about the industry perception. I I don't think we can judge if it's a disaster until, you know, we know who the hire or hires are. Look, they're going to have a capable person in there. Is it going to be their first choice? Perhaps not. Um, But they are going to interview many people, get a wide look around the industry, and they're going to hire somebody who is either, you know, one or two people who are, you know, capable and highly thought of. The people in the mix are. These are not, you know, random people off the street. They're not in a panic point yet. But I do think, as we talked about, the people declining and for the, you know, not just the number of people declining, but the real reasons behind it should be concerning. Um, You know, Sam's at the end of year press conference, this is the Boston Red Sox. Everybody's going to want to work here. Maybe they're learning that's not the case. Yeah,
0: I think disaster is certainly too strong a term, uh, perhaps disappointing to find that, again, some number ones weren't interested. People like Chris Antonetti and Derek Falvey saying no thanks. But even more telling, the fact that there's some well-thought-of, quality number two people like uh, Brandon Gomes with the Dodgers and Sam Fold with the Phillies, both declined an opportunity to move up and be the number one here on a legacy baseball team suggests that there is word around the industry that this is not the most stable of positions and that it comes with some qualifiers. You're keeping the manager, you're inheriting at least three assistant general managers. Um, Those are all uh, somewhat concerning and it's limited their talent and, and and candidate pool it doesn't mean as you suggested um that they're not going to end up with a qualified capable person in the number 1 chair it does suggest that it is not going to be necessarily a smooth journey getting there and they may have to take someone who wasn't their number 1 pick
1: yes i think it just comes down to you know you can't call it a disaster until you know who's been hired. And at that point, you can't really call it a disaster either.
0: I mean, once they hire somebody, if it's a good hire, it doesn't matter who turned them down.
1: Right. Yeah, And that is, um, I think, the, the thing to remember. And again, I, I don't think either of us think they're at the finish line quite yet. We have um, two kind of similar questions kind of off the beaten path of this a little bit. Tom Howland at Trist Speakers Ghost. Are you going to perhaps even out the vitriol against the owners who did bring four World Series championships to Red Sox fans going forward? They screwed up, up, sure, but so did Bloom with his roster construction. And then a pointed question from at High Tech 33, Tech T-E-K. How does the media not take responsibility for running out of town the leadership of the Red Sox from Dombrowski's awful extensions and signings or even more... Expletive Bloom's inability to trade farm depth for MLB help. They poison the fan base and motivate the owners for change. Uh, my re- reaction to that would be that you and I and the others that cover the team didn't go 78 and 84 over the last couple of years. Uh, with Dombrowski's moves, we did not have uh, big disagreements on the future of the franchise in the summer of 2019 with John Henry. So, I mean. I think that's a uh, kind of a small minded thing to say the media is running these guys out of town, uh, which I, I believe you would agree with is obvious. Yeah. I, I wish we had as much power as the question suggests we do. Right. I
0: assure you we do not. Um, does that mean that ownership and upper management is unaware of media coverage or things being reported or the general um, uh, picture being? Uh, given of of the franchise. No, they, they read, they hear, they listen. Uh, but I think as much, and this should buffet uh, many who are listening here, I think they also take the temperature of the fan base, mm-hmm. uh, some of whom are angry, some of whom don't like the direction, some of whom predictably are unhappy with three last place finishes in the last four years. Uh, you know, I, I don't know of any market, particularly one as demanding as this one, in which that would be accepted and, and um, you know, and sort of codified as, you know, business as usual. It isn't business as usual, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, as for uh, the vitriol, uh, that person's word, not ours, mm-hmm. uh, we have been critical of ownership at times. We think they should be more responsive, uh, to the fan base, we think they should be more accountable. But there's no question that these current owners, led by John Henry and Tom Warner, who are the the you know face uh, of the franchise and the public face as the uh, two biggest shareholders in the team, <clears throat> have done a remarkable job. When you win four championships in 20 years after going 0 for 86, you're obviously doing a lot of things right, and they have with the team, with the ballpark, with every as- aspect of their ownership being a Red Sox fan in the last 20 years is to realize the modern uh you know greatest period of Red Sox history and I think most people accept that but that does not mean they are immune from criticism or that they shouldn't face the music on some of the things that have gone wrong on the last 10 years and when you have finished in last place 5 times, 6 times going back from 23 to 2012, that a a team with the resources this one has, that should be an unacceptable result, and we've called them on it.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, talk about your classic victims of your own success, right? Like these guys with the championships raised the bar, and nothing is a success, you know, around here unless it's a World Series championship. Um, And I think that that is the way, you know, not just because, of what the red sox have done but you know what the patriots certainly have done and the whole title town thing for a 20-year run in this town or, or you know more more than that with brady and everything like people uh and i wasn't around for this but you are and you can speak to it and my parents can and stuff like success for a boston team in the 90s or early 2000s was uh, defined much differently than it is right now you know and i think that that right. really hurts um Ownership, you know, you win four times and even, you know, a run to the ALCS. Yeah, it's all right, but they didn't win at all, right? So what's the point in the the minds of many? Well, and ownership
0: cannot say that we are championship driven, that that is our goal every year to play meaningful games deep into October. And then when the team finishes 20 and 25 and 30 games out of a playoff spot, not expect that there's going to be a negative reaction
1: and some criticism that comes from that. Mm hmm. And that's why, you know, I think they've made the changes that they have. From Boston Sports Gordo, curious why we haven't heard much about Sig Medjdal as a candidate for the Red Sox, especially after Cora raved about him in September. They worked together in Houston. What are your thoughts on him as a candidate? Have you heard anything on him? Um, An Astros assistant GM was a huge, very unique part of the Astros rebuild, um, tearing it all down and coming back. I think he's also – And the
0: Cardinals before that.
1: Yeah, also a legitimately – a rocket scientist um he's a guy that has had a very very important role under old friend of his mike elias in baltimore um you know not not a guy that we've heard is interviewed but you know someone that cora knows and likes so um an interesting kind of outside the box candidate uh, really no updates on, on my end with him but a name that yeah, I, I, I
0: would say that probably throughout the industry he's viewed as a Um, analytics first and foremost guy without maybe the broad experience that they might be looking for in either a number one or number two spot. Mm -hmm. Um, He's fairly or unfairly seen uh, as kind of a niche guy who who analyzes the data and has a good way about him in helping players understand it and being a liaison between the front office and the players those people are valuable but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, he's ready to become the number one decision maker and run a baseball ops department
1: and if you're looking at his situation you're the number two for an organization that's going to be in a really, really good spot for a while. Maybe there's part of him that wants to see that through. Um, you know, we've learned here that, and not saying we know anything on this spe- specific case, but we've learned here in the last couple of weeks that, you know, just cause you're a number two, they dangle the carrot of a number one in front of you. That doesn't mean you're going to jump for it. Unclear if they've talked to him, but you know, sitting back watching the Orioles succeed as you've built them up might be a, a less stress, um, higher upside proposition for somebody than coming into this situation right now and dealing with everything that it comes with. Um, we'll end with this. There's a few kind of other questions here, but they're all kind of in similar vein on the GM search, uh, different than what we've talked about, but uh, a player who we discussed as recently as last week when we did the grades and talked about throughout the year, uh, question coming from Paul, your predictions for Masataka Yosh- Yoshida's 2024 season. Um, it was, I think, a strange 2023. He came over. He was very, very good early. Hit the wall pretty hard and was bad in the second half. I think the Red Sox viewed the, uh, as we've talked about, you know, not conditioning in a, you know, he was out of shape or that type of thing, but just a long season, a longer season, more travel, uh, all the adjustment period is catching up to him in, him in the second half, and they're going to you know, work hard this off season, sending some people to Japan to get him right and get him in a better space. Um, I think he's going to be better. I think DH at bats would go a long way for him. If Justin Turner doesn't come back, especially, um, you know, I think it was a slightly above average season on the whole. Um, I forget which grade we gave him, but, um, and, and the adjustments are real. I still think he's one dimensional, but you know, uh, probably an uptick in all of the offensive numbers, probably heading into year two, if I were to guess, is just a product of knowing what's coming and preparing for the long haul a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I would expect that he'll be better in 2024 and going forward on what is a five year commitment uh, because he is limited. He's not a good defender. We know that. The metrics tell us that, and so sort do of our eyeballs watching him play left field. And he's not a great base stealer or a base runner. So he's got to get on base and be able to drive the ball and produce a little bit, even if it's not via the home run. He's not a big slugger type. But as we saw, he's capable of hitting 35 to 40 doubles. Um, But I think the on base has to be better. And because he doesn't contribute much in the field or on the bases, his value is all in his on-base and offensive production, that's got to be better. When you look at his rookie year, I think if it had been flipped, in other words, a slow start and then got better as it went along, that would have been more understandable. The fact that he met all the different challenges that came with playing in a new country, in a new culture, language barriers, schedule differences, more travel, different baseball, different fields, all of those things, he seemed to do better early and then Mm -hmm. fall off. And as you suggested, a lot of that, I think, has to be conditioning. They and he have to figure out a better way to get 145 to 150 games out of him next year and not have that second half drop off.
1: Yeah, uh, that's definitely, you know, uh, what happened, I think, and and worth questioning. But uh, I think the adjustment period may have hit him a little later than, you know, earlier than, or a little later than I guess we've seen from guys in the past. That's this week's second fenway rundown uh my predictions we're not going to have a new gm or president of baseball operations in place by the time we record on tuesday if we do there'll be an emergency episode stay tuned um, but as always thanks for listening and reading this has been the fenway rundown brought to you by mass live